Hi, I'm Iris Muller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and a proud mom of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And I'm Alma Schneider, a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mom of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms No Fluff. Hello, everybody. We are Alma Schneider and Iris Meller. Uh, two moms, no fluff. We are very happy to have you here. If you're new to our podcast, this is where we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. And we are very happy to introduce a new topic, Alma. Hello, everyone. Uh, yes, we are very happy to be doing this episode. We recently did an episode, uh, a workshop on this topic, and we thought it would be great to do as an episode as well. And this topic is grandparents or people who act as grandparents to our children and things that they can do to be more connected to the kids, uh, our, their grandchildren, our kids, or ways that um, they can help us and help the whole family as a whole. So do you want to get started, Iris, with our first piece of this of this episode? Because there's yes, a yes. lot to talk about. We're going to try to cram it all in. <laughs> there, there's a lot to talk about. And I know that uh, you touched on one topic, which is like uh, uh, people who act as grandparents, uh, taking, uh, I guess, an active part in raising our children and helping support our families that uh, we all already agreed on. It takes a village to raise a child and even more so if the child mm-hmm. has a disability. So thank you for everybody who's involved. And I want to start with the first kind of topic that uh, we discussed in our workshop. And that is that uh, being a grandparent uh, maybe starts with being a parent to the parent of the child with a disability. And this is something that is uh, very important because the parents themselves go through a lot just by virtue of getting a new diagnosis and learning that their kid and all the, I guess, tasks that are involved in raising a child would be very, very different than what they anticipated and the life that they imagined for themselves. And in that uh, particular point in time and later on as the new challenges and new, I guess, uh, milestones in this journey kind of happen, whether they're good or bad, the parents need a support system and there's no better support system than their own parents. So I want to invite all the grandparents to check in with their children first and before even thinking about uh, caring and attending to their grandchild with a disability, to think about ways in which they can support their own child and even better, the spouse or partner of that child if there is one, and make sure that they are in checking kind of on their mental health and uh, emotional uh, well-being. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to disclose that, sadly, I have no parents anymore. They I have them in, in spirit, but they both passed away. And my husband's parents both passed away as well. So we, um, my knowledge comes from dealing with um, our, our group and here that I've been hosting for the last 11, 12 years um, and hearing people's stories about their parents and just about how my parents were before, you know, they passed away. But um, 
they they did pass away before my son with a disability was born something that is really important and that my parents my mom specifically was really um, good at which i know would have been so helpful for our family now is that she would unify the um the siblings and sort of serve as the headquarters for the for the kids and that's something that I, I imagine would have been really, really helpful for me and that I know I hear from other parents of kids with disabilities is really important that the parents talk to the siblings um, and kind of help help guide everyone um, as to how they should, you know, or, or how they can help. Um, they serve as models for the siblings to show ways in which they can help the family, ways in which they can create and foster relationships with the child with the disability, because creating a strong connection um, with the children with the disabilities is really helpful for the parents emotionally and practically if they're taking care of them physically or helping out with other things that we're going to be talking about later in the episode. But it's very helpful to show um, ways in which small to really large ways that they can help the family with the child with the disability and for the parent of the child with the disability to know that if something happens to them, their child is going to have connections with other members of the family. So even just, you know, spending any amount of time with them is helpful. Um, just being able to have a relationship just like you would with any kind of a family member is especially important for a family that has a child with a disability because we're always so worried about, you know, what's going to happen uh, to the child if we're not here. And having a support system, it's basically what we're talking about is a support system, and an emotional support system, a practical support system for the child. And ways that that can be conveyed or fostered are going to be very helpful to the family as a whole that has the child with a disability. Yeah, I think that uh, in the good old times, right, the elders were the leaders of the tribe. We mm -hmm. always looked up to them to kind of show guidance and lead by example and tell the rest of the family or tribe how, how to react to different new situations. Mm -hmm. And in a way, we hope that grandchildren or grandparents of children, grandchildren with disabilities would really take that role again and lead by example in terms of uh, showing other siblings and family members uh, close or far how how to handle the situation with grace and uh, obviously with inclusion sometimes even for family events there there need to be little adjustments that are made for the family of a child with the special needs to kind of literally sometimes create the space for them to to host and attend uh, an event um, different things that uh, just pop into mind as we're talking right now is that sometimes when there's a family gathering in the, the grandparents' house, they need to dedicate a quiet room for a child with autism. So they have a place to go and kind of check out and and, and they be able to, to have that quiet time when they need it, when things become overwhelming. So it might be not fair to the other grandchildren that that specific child is allowed or has a room of their own but that's kind of essential to create that space to make it possible for that family to attend the family event maybe all the other uh, children bring a dish to a family meal but the parents with the child with special needs 
they get <laughs> like a, a free pass. They don't need to bring anything because their days are so complicated anyway, and it's so hard to travel with their child. It's small little adjustments that the grandparents can probably think about or the better strategy, ask the family with the child with special needs how they can help and support them they, so they can attend, participate uh, and be a part of a family event in a way that is supportive and not too overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. And respecting what the parents of the child with a disability um, do with their child. It's really important that, and you know, when I say grandparents, I'm also referring to you know, other family members, you know, um, but um, a lot of people do have grandparents. So we're going to focus on the grandparents at this point. But having um, the grandparents, I'm just going to use the term grandparents, to um, respect any rules, any, any um, caretaking that they do, that the parents do, to respect that even though, and this is an issue that comes up with typical children, where the grandparents, uh, you know, give their two cents about what they think would be a better way to do it. It's really important to defer to the parent of the child with a disability, because they are the people who deal with the child the most, they know their child best, and do it, it may feel like they're helping, but it can be uh, whether it's undermining or perceived as undermining or sabotaging what the parent is doing or feeling, it can cause upset for the parent. And it's really important to say, would you mind if I gave you a suggestion? I know that you're the expert. I know you're a parent, but I was just thinking about it this way, if this would be helpful. So to preface, if you really feel like, if the grandparent really feels strongly about something, to, to preface it with, I know you're the expert and I'm hoping, I'm not stepping on your toes, but I thought that this might help. And, you know, if the parent does that a lot, and I mean, if the grandparent does that a lot, I could see it getting um, annoying and that they're not really listening. But if the parent is, if you're receiving it as the parent, like, okay, that's respectful and that's, you know, approaching it in a way that is respectful to me, that may be fine if they always want to suggest something. But for grandparents, it's really important um, we feel to be mindful of and really believe and own that the parent is the expert to really to believe that um, because it can backfire. And one example that came out of our, our group workshop was um, it it can really uh, cause problems later if if a grandparent is is they feel that they're being nice and being kind. And I'm going to use my son as an example who has a food issue with Prader-Willi syndrome. Uh, to give candy on the side when we never give candy because, oh, you know, he's thin, so it might be okay. I'm just going to give him some candy because I'm the grandma. That could cause terrible problems later with uh, a child who has the syndrome because it'll set in motion a kind of a, a, I don't like the word manipulation, but they will try to realize that they can get things from other people by doing that when it's really detrimental to their health and to their behavioral patterns. So the grandparent might be thinking, because they want to be a, the kind, you know, fun grandparent, they might be doing things that they think are, you know, improving their relationship, but it's actually causing tremendous problems when they leave for the family. So it's really important. This goes back to respecting the parent. It's really important to listen to what the parent tells the grandparent and to and for the grandparent to really own it, respect it, and act accordingly. Yeah, 
I think Alma that uh, respecting is a very big part of it and understanding that uh, as you said the parents are the expert this journey is so complicated and emotional for the parents that I really invite grandparents and other people involved in our lives kind of as parents of children with disabilities to to become allies rather than a, a foreign body who criticize decision-making, challenge the system and provides alternative options that might not fit in. Uh, it's it's very easy to to bring new ideas to the table, but sometimes the thing that we really need is an, a listening ear and someone who can, with compassion, validate that uh, you are the parent, you know what's best for your child, you can decide whatever you'll decide, I know you'll do the best uh, to execute it so your child would benefit the most. And most parents really all they need is support and encouragement. And I really hope that um, that everybody that is listening can can provide that to the family that they're involved with. And that being said, we are about to share a bunch of strategies here for grandparents on how to get involved in their grandchildren's life and how to help support the family as a whole. But now I want to give the gold rule of how to, to do it. And uh, <laughs> we already touched on it, but this is really important that the key question to always ask is how can I help? How can I be of support to you? And if you remember to ask that and ask it several times until you get a clear answer, you will be in a different place. You are going to be on their side rather mm -hmm. than on the other side. So always try and ask, what can I do to help? Don't guess, don't assume, don't uh, maybe uh, uh, try to think ahead of the game because sometimes the... Uh, all we need is something very technical and local. <laughs> Sometimes it's mm -hmm. something something bigger and uh, more, uh, I guess, uh, random that you can't even maybe imagine that would be necessary for for this. But asking the question, what can I do? How can I help? That would be really put you on a, I guess, right foot forward. Yeah, because that's a way of saying, I respect you. I'm I, I'm not going to assume what you need for help. I'm going to ask you what would be, you know, helpful. I remember having a baby and getting tons of flowers. That was the last thing that I would have wanted because then I had to take care of the flowers. If somebody was going to come, I remember my mom, when I had my first baby, she came and, and I said it would be really helpful if you dealt with all these flowers and threw out the rotten ones and which started to smell and, and, you know, just deal with, with, with throwing them out or weeding out the bad ones, that alone was, was a form of help for me. So little tiny things can be hugely helpful, but we're going to talk about some ways um, in, in which, you know, most parents would like to have some help. So the first one um, we'll go with is research. Doing A parent with a child with a disability has to spend so much time on the phone, so much time, um, looking into different programs, looking into different scholarships and grants so they can help get some financial assistance to do whatever they need to do for their child. This takes a huge amount of time and it's incredibly frustrating a lot of the time. And it is a constant reminder that there is something problematic um, 
with our children. And it, it can be very hard when we're being rejected by insurance because it feels like they're rejecting our child. There are so many triggers for parents of kids with disabilities. And to take that off the plate with all the other stuff that we have to do with can be so helpful. So offering, and these are what's so wonderful about these ways of helping is that they can be done remotely. So you don't have to live next to your children to be able to do this. You can do it from afar. Fortunately, there's no long distance bills for most of us anymore because we have phones, um, iPhones that, you know, you can have a program where you're, you don't have to pay extra for calling long distance. So we're talking about dealing with insurance claims, um, helping, it's basically being a case manager in a lot of ways um, for, for your family being their private, you know, unpaid social worker or paid social worker for them if if there's a grant to pay for that or if there's some means to pay for that. But we're talking about calling and staying on the phone with insurance companies, looking into um, camps that can accommodate your child, uh, looking into scholarships for recreational activities, finding out if the School of Rock has a class that will, you know, a scholarship for your for their child to take a music class. Um, these are the kinds of things that can take a lot of time, but can be overwhelming for, for the parent. So that's, that's one way of doing research. Do you want to add some more, Iris? Yes, I just, I, I can totally think about grandparents sitting, listening in and saying, but I'm not a, an accountant. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do with insurance. So guess what? We are not either. We don't know how to do with insurance. We had to, in the midst of all of the other things happening in our lives with our kids, we had to learn how to deal with that. And this is a serious, serious time-consuming task that seems to never Ever, and it won't, I guess, ever end. There are so many agencies and entities that are involved in our kids' life. There is, it's just a full-time job that uh, in our family, uh, luckily I have a partner, my husband and I split this uh, enormous task of uh, paperwork and uh, insurance uh, companies and paying all this uh, stuff. We have a team of 14 different professionals and it would would have been amazing if like someone would take that load off our plate and i'm sure for many other families and it can start with just one thing uh, let's say uh, calling the uh, medical suppliers for g tubes like uh, the supply for every month you can start with small one small task and see with time how it goes and how it evolves if you started with the g tubes and then later on you add the uh, i guess durable medical equipment agency for the wheelchair parts and then later on uh, adding more things as you go it still makes it a, a huge help and uh, taking something off the plate of a uh, very full plate of the parents i wanted to say that um, there are other ways uh, we're again are talking of ways now to support the family remotely one of the things that uh, is possible to do and uh, my mother actually is an expert in doing is, is supporting remotely through uh, entertainment that is uh, provided from a different country so one of the things that my mom used to do uh, for our children when they were younger uh, was record herself uh, reading books telling stories that she invented or singing songs and then sending it to us way back then on CDs and later on just uh, electronic files. But uh, that was a way for, for our kids to get to know her voice and get to know kind of the rhythm of her speech and, and uh, some of her personality through the storytelling and reading out loud. And later mm -hmm. on, this also evolved into like 
as we all learned during this pandemic to Zoom calls and uh, FaceTime sessions in which uh, the kids uh, were able to, to see her remotely and still stay connected. And while this is uh, something that still required another adult to be at home and to provide physical help, that alleviated the, the stress level in our house because the kids were occupied and they were talking, having a conversation, obviously in our daughter's situation, because it takes her so long to type a sentence, you really do need someone on the other hand, uh, end of the line that has a lot of patience to kind of listen into what she had to say. But while they were doing that, I was able to like uh, load the dishwasher, cut vegetables for dinner, cook, whatever. And every so often mm -hmm. I would get there to adjust my daughter in her chair or wipe saliva or deal with whatever is needed. But she wasn't entertained it, and it gave me and my husband a bit of freedom to have an adult conversation on the other room or something like that. Yeah. And my son doesn't have the physical issue, but if he is not occupied, he might get into trouble because he has behavioral issues. So it's a form of, you know, childcare when you're doing that as a, in addition to fostering a relationship where you're really, you know, getting to know each other. Something that's vitally important that I want to add to the, the remote, you know, um, um, commitment, you know, we say commitments, but e even if it's a one-time commitment or a two-time commitment to be on time and to commit to doing whatever you said you were going to do. So if you say you're going to come at one o'clock and be on a Zoom call or you're going to come in person, be there at one o'clock. Um, I can speak from firsthand experience that when someone is late for my child or if they don't show up, I hear about it with perseverative <laughs> behavior and questions for, you know, it can be hours and it can. So you might have good intentions to say, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to do a Skype call. But if you forget about it, um, it is potentially going to cause some serious problems for us. So it's even worse than you having said um, for the grandparent to have offered to do it in the first place because now the child is expecting it and now they're disappointed or they're going to throw a tantrum. So it's really important that you do what you say you're going to do and as much as possible, as much as you can control to do it when you say you're going to do it. Um, and again, we don't want people to feel like they have to commit to doing something on time, you know, for the next 10 years. We're talking about, you know, ways in which you can help it can be and and to be very clear with each other about what you're willing to do what you're able to do so you might say oh i want to help you with sh you know shopping for example or i want to do these skype calls once a week i'm going to do them once a week for a year you know for the next few years be careful i hope the grandparents will be careful about offering these things because number one, again, it's a commitment that you're making that you might not be able to keep. And it's also, it can be very disappointing, not only for the child, but for your child, because for the grandparent's child, because it's a way for you to show your love to your child, as Iris mentioned earlier, to be there for your own child. We need you, like we need, you know, people and we count on people. And especially when someone is a parent, that's a way to show your commitment and your love to your child by saying, I'm going to help you. I'm here for you. And when you're not, it's an extra blow. It can be an extra blow. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah. And I, the nice thing about, let's say, helping with shopping is that these days, for example, with uh, Amazon and Instacart and all that, people can really help with the family grocery shopping remotely. Mm -hmm. 
And that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's something that is easy to do. And it doesn't necessarily mean to physically pay for it. It's just like going on that electronic cart and filling it on a weekly basis and make sure that enough stuff arrives at the house. Because sometimes, really, even those tiny things we don't have time for. And talking about that, uh, given that um, uh, we do need physical help, which is in therapy sessions, in a personal care assistance to work with their children, and sometimes even finding the volunteers. The, these are all tasks that can be done remotely, placing an ad on an electronic uh, kind of, I guess, hiring board, like, a, I don't know, I can't remember a name right now, but uh, screening the individuals, going through resumes, doing preliminary interviews, and then finally kind of calling the, the parents and say, there's three good candidates, and do you want mm -hmm. to interview them themselves now? But that's, that's so much work that goes into those those things and this is another help that can be almost like physical help you're bringing in mm -hmm. the physical help you're not paying for it you're not doing it yourself but you you found those people for the family and that's huge and uh, i guess highly appreciated on the parent side yeah and i also want to add ordering reordering medication that the child gets on a regular basis because for us that can sometimes take forever to be on the phone with them and the insurance company changes what they're doing for the medication so reordering medication is a constant it's something that is always happening every you know month we have to reorder and it can take a while so that's a, again something that can be done remotely yeah so and should we I, talk about the not oh sorry i was yeah. going to say are we moving into the the not remote for the for the lucky individuals who have the family members living nearby um there's or a lot for the individual that gets to have a visit from the grandparents and they're finally there after months of being apart yes that's right that's right um there's a lot that can be done and um spending time you know spending physical time with the child taking them out um to go places taking out the siblings of the child or spending time with the sibling of the child with a disability because sometimes they get the shaft and they're not, you know, they're, they don't get enough attention because of what's required from the child with a disability. And um, being, taking them to the park, taking them shopping, taking them to a class, simply driving them around. Um, driving is such a big part of, you know, many people's lives, especially, you know, in the suburbs and remote areas. And, um, it's, you know, being able to drive a child somewhere can just give the parents a break and it can also just, you know, be really nice for the child to have that that quality time um, driving, you know, because there's a lot of appointments, as Iris mentioned, appointments and extracurricular activities, you know, after school or if you're homeschool, taking the child to, you know, whatever the, the homeschooling outings are, going to a museum, going to the aquarium, all of these things um can be really helped by the parent by the grandparent i'm sorry <laughs> i i think that um, when it comes to a uh, help close by i think uh, my mother deserves a medal of honor because she went all the way to the extent of physically moving to the same building on the same floor that we were in so she can be readily available and uh, you know to the rescue at any given uh, moment day or night and that's i know the extreme case but it also kind of when the other three grandparents didn't have any role in upbringing our children my mom 
rose to the occasion in so many ways. I really want to dedicate this episode to my mom because she she's just like she saved us uh, more more than once and uh, her contribution to our kids' quality of life is you know beyond words. And so, I can vouch for that because I've witnessed it and have been absolutely astounded by the level of of you know all of her contributions to the family. It's really inspiring. It really is. Yeah. So um, I think uh, that when it comes to kind of uh, physical help, uh, really, you spoke uh, uh, a lot about uh, childcare, whether it's childcare to the child with a disability or the siblings that also kind of many times lack uh, parental attention because so much focus is put on the child with the disability. But there is a, a, a big piece also to talk about just with the housekeeping and just maintaining just the normal ABCs of a family life. And uh, back to, again, that is why I actually started talking about my mom. My mom has the tendency to walk into our house or our apartment and just immediately kind of check on her way in if there's a load of laundry in the machine that needs to be moved to the dryer, if there's dishes in the um, in the sink, she would ask me, how am I doing? And while I tell the story, she's already put the dishes into the dishwasher, etc. It's just, uh, it's not like a regular guest when we have guests and they come and they sit in our living room and expect us to sit with them and have a conversation. She just took a really active role and is still taking a very active role in making this family run, you know, when the house kind of maintain itself by by actively helping. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And doing doing the laundry and doing the dishes are things that we really, really need. And if a grandparent is not, it, whether they're living nearby, but are not capable of that kind of physical, you know, assistance, or if they're living far away, something that they can do is pay for someone else to do it if they have the means. And that's another great way to contribute. I, you know, money um, makes the world go round and money is can be an incredibly helpful way to contribute to the needs of, of, of help, you know, address the needs of the family with the child with a disability. So that could mean paying for the, the a housekeeper to help, paying for um, someone to make meals if that's something that is important for the family, paying for summer camps paying for things, paying for the extra therapies, for the extra classes that the child might require, paying for for um, uh, vacations for the parents, paying, I had a friend whose in-laws paid for her to get a massage. Once the baby was born, she was able to get a massage, you know, once a week or something like that um, for a while or once a month. These are all things that cost money and that are not indulgences they're ways for us to be able to maintain our sanity so a clean house you know food we're talking about you know really important things we've talked a lot um in a previous episode about sleep so watching the kids while your child sleeps uh who has the child with a disability huge i mean sleep so we're talking about basic needs sleep food a clean house um, these are all things that we, 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 they're not, they're necessities, they're necessities. So if you can help with that or pay for someone to allow those things to happen, um, that's a huge contribution to a family. Alma, I, I think uh, we are closing to an 
close to an end of, <laughs> of the episode today, but uh, I really wanted to reiterate that uh, it's, it's almost like a partnership uh, that grandparents can become like very, very involved in the family life and very involved in the care and the support system for the family. I know that for many grandparents, uh, realizing that they have a grandchild with a disability is also extremely difficult and challenging uh, emotionally. I think that uh, there is a serious hit that the grandparents also get and we uh, need to acknowledge, acknowledge that and remember that, that it's also very, very hard. But I, I really hope that for the grandparents listening today and the, their families, that everybody can go beyond that and to join forces and understand that um, there's nothing better than a unified family unit to help kind of the grandkid achieve the best that they can in life. And the mm -hmm. more people that are intimately involved in their upbringing from their early years on, the better the outcome for everybody is. So I hope that uh, whoever is listening today would uh, maybe after this episode have a conversation with their children, their mm -hmm. parents, and see what uh, what role they can take and maybe use some of the strategies that we suggested today to get involved. Yeah. And if you're listening to this episode as the parent to be able to um, talk to your parents about or ask them to listen to this episode. I think that would be helpful. And something that came out of the workshop that we did was um, a, a grandparent asked if we could do a support group for the grandparents at, because of what, you know, Iris was just saying, it is a hit for a grandparent. Maybe they've been waiting for a grandchild their whole life, just like a parent was waiting for a child. And this is not what they had anticipated. And there can be a great sense of loss in you know what they thought their role was going to be with the grandchild and the kind of grandparent they were going to be and now they that's a loss um and we do need to acknowledge that and we're you know we're talking about the possibility of doing some kind of a support group for grandparents so stay tuned for that and please in your comments please let us know things that your um that the grandparents of your child have done um, or if you want that are helpful and also if you'd like to vent and talk about, you know, things that you wish they had had done um, to help you, that would also be helpful to the community of parents of kids with disabilities. So, you know, again, we all have to support each other and there's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, we're all in this together and it's, you know, we all need to just hold each other up when we're not getting what we need and to help each other get what we need. Thank you so much, Alma, and thank you for everybody that was listening and joining us today. And, and thank uh, you to the you. people who are helping out your family members. It's, yes. You're doing a great job, I'm sure. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Take care. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.